welcome to this event, event number two of this year's Coach Festival. I'd like to, before we begin, thank our sponsors for this evening's event. So as always, the Arts Council of England. And this evening we have another sponsor who has decided he wants to remain anonymous. Uh, I know his initials, but I don't want to embarrass anybody by them starting to think, oh, is it he, is it him, is it so and so? But um, if, I believe you are here at Anonymous Sports, and if you do want to come over at the end and just introduce yourself to Jackie, that would be lovely, so we can say thank you properly. Okay, so this evening we have the lovely and wonderful Scottish Maka. <laughs> I really like saying that. <laughs> Scottish Maka. <laughs> Classic, three times just for the yeah. Yeah. We have the Scottish Maka. <laughs> Jackie, Jackie Kay this evening. So Jackie is currently the Chancellor of the University of Salford, as well as being the marker. She's a busy woman. She's just come back from doing a tour with a number of other poets, a tour called Shore to Shore, which was in um, support of independent bookshops, a, a cause that I think is probably close to many of our hearts in this room. I once heard somebody say about, I think it was Mozart, he was versatile but not. Oh God, I've forgotten the line. <laughs> I can't remember, it might be that. Anyway, Jackie is very versatile, but prolific but not versatile, that was a comment. Jackie is both prolific and versatile. She's, um, her books Red Dust Road, which I'm sure many of you have read, and Trumpet have both become Picador classics. And her most recent book, Phantom, is now in print, and she'll be reading from that as well as other things. Um, I've known Jackie for quite a long time, and I've read, I think, probably everything that she's written. Her adoption papers were very important to some very good friends of mine, and a good friend of mine who's an adoption officer in Newcastle gives a copy of that to every family who adopt a kid. So she doesn't just um, write things that make you laugh, which she does. She can make you cry, she can make you giggle. And um, I think one thing I'd say about her poems is that they get you by the throat. So this evening that's what she's going to do. She's going to get us by the throat. And um, I want to mention one other thing she's done, which was a couple of years ago now, Jackie wrote a poem for the opening of one of the sessions of the Scottish Parliament. I think you can find it on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, it's so incredibly moving. I do really recommend it. It was a tour de force of welcoming. And I think that's one of the things Jackie does very well. Is she's very open and very welcoming. So I'd ask you, please, to give the same welcome to Jackie this evening. Somebody else. 
actually I am somebody else. I have been somebody else all my life. It's no laughing matter going about the place all the time being somebody else. People mistake you, you mistake yourself. Okay, and this, uh, this poem is called Fear, the old Scots word for, for a friend, you know, that we hear in all blind signs. If you're the one that must be fear, and he's the one that I know, Taka, right? Get really off for all blind signs. <laughs> <laughs> in, this, in this poem, I pronounce it Fury, because it gives me more rhymes. <laughs> I first read this poem before it was in a book I read it at a burn supper. In Sri Lanka, oh, the haggis were flown in. I watched them land in the rain, running spontaneously, addressed themselves. Hey, boy, you sunsy face. Look at great children's cartoon, that, wouldn't it? Anyway, at this burn supper in Sri Lanka, there were two uh, old women that had been friends all of their lives. They were 88, and they'd been friends since they were three. If you went to the Tatmos Hill, Fiery, where we used to climb as girls, you'd see the snow of the day, Fiery, settling on the hills. You'd mind another day, maybe, we ran down the hill in the snow, sliding and singing our way to the foot, lassies laughing together, how brawl, the years slipping awaw, out in the weather. And now we're suddenly old, Fiery, our friendship's never been weary, We've I seen the world differently. Where would I have been with my Joe, my Feeny, my Fiercy, my Dino? Your hair, it might be silver now, your walk a wee bit doddery. But we've had a whirl and a blast, girl, through the cold last winter, through spring, summer. Over a lifetime, my Feeny, my bonnie lassie, I defend you, you and me. Blythe and blatter, here we gang down the hill, nae matter, past the blacken. Bonnie Blaze, Barley, out by the roaring sea, still having a bladder. We who love sincerely, we who love say fiercely, the snow and air roots say barry, not the winter trees say pretty. Come on, come on, Madini, tap my hand, my baby. Introduction and uh, I read a few um, months ago that the Scottish government were going to be doing a box of essential things to welcome new babies. So I wrote to the Scottish government, you know, as you do, and, uh, and I said, How about including a poem in the box of essential things? And they wrote back saying, Good idea, but I think I've got to write it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I wrote this, this poem, and this poem goes out to every little baby. Um, born in Scotland. I keep bumping into people now, whatever I am, with three babies saying, we've got the boy off the wall. And wanting pictures and things. That's a, quite a nice thing. Welcome, wee one. Oh, my darling, wee one, at last you're here in the world. And with all your wisdom, you're in bricked as the stars. you filled this house with licht. Your trusty wee horn your glow o'er oh, heat, my cherished gin, my heart's aim. 
Oh, my darling, we in the hail world welcomes ye. The moon glows, the hearth warms. Let your life be luck, health, charm. Yeah, my bonny, blessed burden, my small, miraculous gift. I never count love like this. Yeah. I decided that I would write that out by hand and I went and wrote it out by hand and chose the paper that it was to go on and everything. Most of the messages about it were very, very lovely, but somebody wrote, what a horrible font. <laughs>
my mum and dad got arrested during the peace protests at Dunoon and they couldn't fit all the peace protesters into the jail, so they lost they locked the remainder up in the Catholic Church. <laughs> so my mum was in the in the Catholic Church locked up and my dad was in the prison. And then years later my brother got done for poaching. So. <laughs> I was trying to think of the, the kind of a of a world that that, that, that we that we want and, and how how dispiriting it can be, um, the world at the moment. So this poem I wrote uh, a, a wee while ago, um, actually before Brexit, but I, I called it uh, Planet Farage. And then before Brexit, I rather optimistically changed the title to Extinction. <laughs> now I've had to change the title back <laughs> to Planet Farage. Now, I originally wrote this as a kind of eco ecologically friendly poem, in a way, but in his voice. But I wouldn't do the accent, so I can't do that accent. But you have to try and imagine me as him. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we closed the borders, folks. We nailed it. No trees, no plants, no immigrants, no foreign nurses, no doctors. We smashed it. We took control of our affairs, no fresh air, no birds, no bees, no HIV, no poles, no pollen, no pandas, no polar bears, no ice, no dice, no rainforests, no foraging, no France, no frogs, no golden toads, no harlequins, no greens, no Brussels, no vegetarians, no lesbians, no vegan lesbians. <laughs> No carbon curved emissions, no CO2 questions, no lions, no tigers, no bears, no BBC picked audience, no loony lefties, please, no politically correct classes, no classes, no guardian readers, no readers, no emus, no EUs, no eco warriors, no euros, no rhinos, no zebras, no burnt brass, no elephants, we shut it down, no immigrants, no immigrants, no recycling, global warming nutters. Little man, little woman, the world is a dangerous place. Now pour me a pint, dear. Get out of my fracking face. <laughs> Parry is also mentioning a red, red dust road. Uh, very. Uh, in her introduction, and it was, it was interesting, last time I was in Ledbury was with my, my uh, mum and dad, so um, they give their love to Ledbury. Um, my dad is now 93, 93, two days ago, which uh, he said, he said, I was telling my neighbour, I told him it's my birthday, and I said to him, I'm 93, uh, and he says, good on you, John, and my dad's 103, and I said, that turned my gas down to a little peep. <laughs> When I became macker, my dad, who was 91 then, was a couple of years ago, said to me, how long is your term in office? <laughs> I said, it's five years, Dad. And he said, well, your mother and I will just need to see you your term in office. <laughs> I much hope they do. But um, yes, my, my mum uh, used to always bring me up with these kind of imaginary versions of my birth parents. Um, she, she really liked trying to imagine the, these you know, who was behind the, the, the baskets, as it were. And uh, she used to like to picture my birth father in particular, and she'd say to me, I'm pictured in a Paul Robeson figure, Jackie. Maybe with a bit of Nelson Mandela mixed in. 
I kind of had this really, really colorful, wonderful picture of this birth father for years and years, and similarly with my birth mother. And then when I traced them both, I found that my father was a born-again Christian living in Nigeria. He spent the first two and a half hours of our first and only meetings, uh, singing and dancing and praying for me. And at one point, in the middle of this two and a half hour ceremony, I realized he saw me as his past sin. I needed, <laughs> I needed to be cleansed. He said to me, if people were to know about you, they would lose their faith in God. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I realized it was that powerful. <laughs> Imagine having that as a power, just walking about the place. <laughs> And I chased my, my, I chased my mother years, years earlier, and I found her to be a Mormon living in Milton Keynes. <laughs> and I told my mum that my mother was a Mormon. She went, "Oh Jesus!" <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit. Why do we have bottle and forget all about it? <laughs> yes, this is granite, and quine and lunar old Aberdonian words. For does anybody know? Anybody know? Yay, girl and boy. I found the quine and I found the loon in a sparkling granite tune. Just as a har was coming doon, just as a cloud had slayed the moon, the fairest face is set in stain, the miller cries and all lane, I've wandered drift up Gallic Lane to Union Street and back again. Just as granite comes through grain, Gin will be growing folk, search in vain, tracking doon the past in the rain, but as long as you'd call a stain, a stain. This poem is called uh, Igusi Soup. The first time I met my father, he ordered hot pepper fish soup in the hotel bar and told me his favourite soup was igusi, served with semo, iba, or pounded yam. His wife makes good igusi, he tells me, with stockfish, dryfish, and crayfish, with local insuka magi, with goat meat or beef meat, and of course, pounded igusi, protein-rich seeds of a large seedy variety of watermelon, fried in palm oil first. Be careful the oil doesn't splash. And you must remove the bones from the dry fish and break into big bones, big pieces. Add chilli, add pepper to taste. For maximum flavour, add curry powder or thyme. I like a lot of chilli. Do you like things hot? He asked me. Then at the end, she throws in bitter leaf or ugua or cellarosa. It helps if you have a cow's tongue, something like that, or a beef or oxtail. I told my father of a villager quoted by a chebi who told his wife never to give him igusi soup. So every evening, the man gets to eat his favourite soup. Igusi. I see what you mean. I see what you mean, he says, laughing his laugh that is a little like mine. Then he put down his bowl and his spoon as if he were from a fable or a fairy tale, a bear or a woodcutter, a wolf in a frock, and vanished. Like a cow jumping over the moon, or the dish running away with the spoon. Mm -hmm. It's interesting after the two and a half hour uh, service that I had in the in the hotel room, we got to the, the place where we had the igusi soup, 
And, uh, and my father said to me, so, you said in your letter that you didn't want to answer to a man. That is a strange thing to say, so if you're not married and you do not have a boyfriend or such, how do you cater for your sex drive? It's <laughs> 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 the most unfamily question in there. <laughs> Well, you know the woman that he spoke to in the phone and he said, yes. And I said, well, she's my partner. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, she's my partner. He said, how so? I said, well, she's my, she's my partner. And he went, oh, 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 you mean you're a lesbian? I said, yes, yes, that's right. And he went, okay, 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 okay. Which one of you is the man? Sometimes your life becomes like a story that you have to you have to write. This this um, poem is called the Imaginary Road, and um, I when I met my father, I went back to Nigeria to, to try and find this ancestral village because all my African friends told me you have to find the ancestral village. So I did manage to find it by kind of detective work, and um, and when I got there, I found that it was it, it felt very strangely familiar to me. And that's the strange thing about landscapes, that some can already feel like you've been there before you've got there, if you know what I mean. The imaginary road. The road that was in your head has already found you walking. When you looked up ahead, it was your footsteps waiting. Then you heard the song of the road under the dirt and the dust. Heard the song of the Delta Blue and found a song you already knew. There are roads there in the beginning. Roads that take us to the end. Roads we can't help loving. The dips, turns and bends. There's something about you now. Small figure walking the track. Growing into the distance. Avoiding the dips and cracks. Trying not to look back. The road that was in your head, the road that was in your head is already up ahead. The road that was your friend will be waiting in the end. It will hold out a helping hand as you draw your line in the sand. walking by the water, down where an honest river shakes hands with the sea. A woman passed round me in a slow, watchful circle, as if I were a superstition or the worst dregs of her imagination. So, when she finally spoke, her words spliced into bars of an old wheel, a segment of air. Where do you come from? Here, I said. Here, these parts. It's funny, I was thinking of being a macker and going around Scotland, I get a real sense of how Scotland is changing from when I wrote that particular poem and didn't didn't always got asked where I was from, where I was from all the time in my own country, which you know most most people recognise that experience in, in one way or another in shape or form. But the strangest experience I had of that was going into a shop in Drimmen 
which is which is spelt dry men, but pronounced Drimmen, but there's plenty dry men about in Drimmen. <laughs> it's not actually. <laughs> and um, and uh, I was trying on this top in the shop, I was with my mum, and this complete stranger came up to me and she said, that colour suits you, dear. Where are you from? <laughs> I said, I'm from Glasgow. And she went, is that right? Because I've got a friend from the Dominican Republic. <laughs> my son had that made in a t-shirt for me. I've got a friend from the Dominican Republic. <laughs> to give me a clue and his clue was driven so I got it to the Dominican Republic <laughs> and then when I got to the Dominican Republic everybody thought I was Dominican so I <laughs> so, um, thought we were both Dominican so Matthew was saying that that woman maybe wasn't so anyway that's <laughs> but it has been uh, really fascinating going around Scotland from place to place and getting a real sense of, of the country changing and the country welcoming and um, people as folks one of the most gay-friendly countries now to, to live in, in in Europe, which kind of is, is to me beyond belief, you know. The other day I was in Eust, and uh, I said to the woman who was driving me around the next day, who was in her kind of middle 70s, I said to her, I was surprised to see the big lesbian turnout for me last night. And she said, without missing a beat, I, we managed to hang on to our lesbians. <laughs> Then she loses momentum, so out come the egg mayonnaise sandwiches and a big bottle of brew. 
Mamaskaras, princess, jelly, digging in, munching lions. The whole train is an egg, and I'm inside it. I'm trying to remain calm. Jenny starts it again. Sussnack, sussnack, chomp, chomp, chomp. Finally, we get there, London, Houston, and the very first person on the platform gets asked, Are you a genuine Sussnack? I want to die. Instead of saying, Jenny, he replies in that English way, I beg your pardon. And Jenny screams, Did you hear that voice? We both die laughing, clutching our stomachs at Euston Station. <laughs> Did one more childhood poem to go with that. Brendan Gallagher. Between the ages of five and seven, I had this imaginary friend that I called Brendan Gallagher. So that even now, the word for lie in my family is Brendan Gallagher. <laughs> she told the great big Brendan Gallagher. <clears throat> he was seven and I was six, my Brendan Gallagher. He was Irish and I was Scottish, my Brendan Gallagher. His father was in prison. He was a cat burglar. My father was a Communist Party full-time worker. He had six brothers and I had one, my Brendan Gallagher. He would hold my hand and take me by the river, where we talk all about his family being poor. He'd get his mum out of Glasgow when he got older, a wee holiday, someplace nice, someplace far. I tell my mum about my Brendan Gallagher, how his mum drank and his daddy was a cat burglar, and she'd say, Why not have him round to dinner? <laughs> no, no, I say, He's got big holes in his trousers. I like meeting him by the bird in the open air. Then, one day, after we'd been friends two years, one day when it was pouring and I was indoors, my mum says to me, I was talking to Mrs Moyer, who lives next door to you, Brendan Gallagher. Didn't you say his address was 24 Novar? She says there are no Gallaghers at 24 Novar. There never have been any Gallaghers next door. And he died then, my Brendan Gallagher. Flat out on my bedroom floor. His spiky hair, his impish grin, his funny, flapping ear. Oh, Brendan. Oh, my Brendan Gallagher. Claire said softly. She had no 
pubic hair. Then she pushed her tongue to the roof of my mouth and we kissed, we kissed, we kissed. We really did. My brother was telling me that he decided to read one of my poems to his girlfriend on Skype, who's in Australia. And he picked that one because of the, he remembers going to Hollywood. <laughs> we got to the end of the poem and we went, oh Christ! <laughs> holidays all, all over uh, Scotland and um, we'd always, we played this game in the, car, in the car all the time where me and my brother and I would sing a word and my dad had to sing a song with that word in it and he was, he was particularly good at, good at this one time I shouted out oil can thinking he'd never find a song with oil can in it and he just burst into singing oh the sun shines bright in my oil Kentucky home <laughs> <laughs> This, this poem's uh, called Pagadir. And it's in uh, two, two voices. It's a, it's a kind of a... I wrote it for a Scottish, Scottish ballet because there was going to be a dance between an older woman and a younger woman. And then I began to... It was the first time they'd ever had a poem instead of a piece of music. So you can see that if you, if you went on the, on the web. But, um, but then I became sort of fascinated with the idea of how the body can hold um, memories of dances and songs and poems. Um, even when people have got vascular dementia or Alzheimer's, the body will, will know the dance. And, the, and so it became really a, a poem about uh, dementia. Padadur. Would you tack hodder me? Tack hodder me? Hod me in your arms and burrow me around. Would you hod close to me? Hod close to me? Lift me up and put me down. I'll let go of you, let go of you. Turn you in and set you free. You're one step away, two away from me. A pas de chat, a pas de deux. Would you run up with me? Run away with me. Tap my horns and lead me astray. Would you hear a word for me? Hear a word for me. Tell me yesterday's no the day. I'll keep time with you. Bide close to you. Your body's memory, full of stories. Step by step we go, chasse, play. In your foot, your toe, you're a magnificent glory. Would you please follow me, still shadow me, until night becomes day. Keep up with me, pas marche or breezy volley, until the river meets the sea. I'll face time with you, keep faith with you, up the banks and over the brae, until the moon drops to the sea, I'll be your bridge, your gateway, till I am ye, and ye are me. Would you let go of me? Let go of me. Things have sapped and ebbed away. Would you let go of me? Let go of me. Words have slid back to sea. Who are you? Who's me? Who's me? I'll dance the night away, step by step away. You go, I'll follow. Don't worry now, don't go away. It all begins and ends with a demi plie. Are you dancing? You say, you say. Are you tomorrow? Are you asking? What will you borrow? The day, just yesterday. The night's dancing into the day. The moon's dancing into the sea. 
and blindness, your passion. You'll be mine now until the end of time, my bonnie lassie. I'll tack the full gear of you and gear it back and gear it back to you. A first kiss, a lying promise, time's golden ring.
What do we want? You say, peace in society. Time has not made your politics dimmer. When people who've lived all their lives for democracy, for democracy, survive to see the springtime, April sunshine, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. that they use gives me inspiration and um, reading other writers gives me massive amount of inspiration listening to the blues um, yes certain certain kinds of food <laughs> um, I think you know that if you're alive to the world your heart is open to it and you get inspiration in all sorts of ways noticing all sorts of things are often can give you inspiration or watching the way that landscape changes in a, in a field. And I think that um, sometimes it's it's finding a way to translate that, finding a voice for that into into the poem. I like writing poems in, in lots of different um, voices, um, just because I like trying to capture that, that way of, of, of people speaking and, and, and people's different voices. Like I like my, my mum would say, I'm not hungry, hungry, but I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm not tired, tired, but I'm tired. You kind of think of as the Glasgow double. <laughs> so yes, all sorts of all, all sorts. I think sometimes um, when you feel closed to the world and you're shut down to the world, then you you, you feel as if inspiration won't come to you. But um, you know, as Picasso said, inspiration will come, but it's got to find you working. Any, anybody else? Yes? Can I ask you to talk a bit about being the matter of what you think the, the purpose of the role is and what you feel is the most important aspect of it? Yes, being the macker. Well, um, I'm the third modern macker, so um, there's only been Liz Lockett before me and Edwin Morgan before that, and in that sense the role feels very new. Um, uh, it's different from the laureate, um, um, which has you know, been going for hundreds, hundreds of years. Um, but I feel that, um, that my job as, as Macker is to try and find a way to, to bring poetry to as many different people and to bring poems out of as many different people as, as possible in all different ways. So I'm going travelling all around Scotland over the next five years and writing a big poem called The Macker's Map, where um, 
because it seems to me that islands are like stanzas, and Scotland's got quite little tiny islands, and uh, islands are like, like stanzas, they're surrounded by water, stanzas are surrounded by space, and so I went to write a big tapestry poem where I kind of put Scotland uh, together in different different places. But I also like to do lots and lots of different things. I'm editing an anthology, 500 poems, about 500 places, and getting different uh, young people and old people to, to write their, their poems about imaginary places, real places, places that they love. I'd like to do a Parliament Day, which is the next thing I'd like to do, to get poets into the Scottish Parliament, and instead of discussing things in the chamber in a, in a debate kind of way, to, to, to discuss things in a poetry way and see what kind of difference that makes to, to debate. I'd like to have poems on wheels. Um, you know, you used to have meals and meals. I like the idea of, of setting up a carer system where the carer came in and every Monday, say, a carer would read one minute poem, a short poem, and I'd choose them or collate them. I just like to try and find different ways of, of getting poetry out, out and about and into the, the community. I, I've written quite a lot of public poems since I've been married. I wrote a poem for the Queen's Free Crossing. Um, and one for the opening of Scottish Parliament and babies and the ballet and whatever. Um, but I'd like to kind of spread the work out um, amongst all the other poets. There's so many wonderful poets um, living and working in, in Scotland um, right now. And so I'd like people to get to hear from them a lot as well, whilst they're macro. There are lots, lots and lots of plans, macro plans. It's, it's about, um, I'm halfway through the time now, so that time is going quickly in. When the woman in Dunoon the other day, Dunoon's coming up a lot tonight, I hope its ears are burning. <laughs> if its ears are burning, it's got plenty of water around it. But um, a woman in Dunoon said to me the other day, uh, when, you know, when, when's it going to run out, you bring back her? And she sounded in mildly panicked. And I said, oh no, it's fine, you've got another two and a half years. Why couldn't they have you for longer? And she said, yes. <laughs> I take that as a huge compliment. <laughs>
you know, I started um, a poem about the Glasgow School of Art. Um, I was so upset, um, as we all are, um, just horrendous. Um, but I'm still working on that poem. I don't want to kind of write it too fast or too soon, but I definitely will write it. But it's interesting because my, my son has a, a friend, Topi, who's uh, used to come on holidays with us all the time. His family was from Nigeria. And my dad and, and I took him to the Glasgow School of Art uh, when he was 10. And he was so inspired by it that he became an architect. And the other day when I was leaving Glasgow, or to go on this uh, shore to shore tour, the first stop of it, that was when the, the, the fire happened. Um, the taxi man told me about it. And um, we, all, we could see all the fire engines coming into the, the city. And I, I felt really um, like, like weeping. Um, but, but I was also thinking of the people's lives that have been filled and, and inspired by that particular um, building. And um, it's quite hard to think of how to write about such things, particularly in the wake of a, of a fire like Grenfell that we've also had. It's kind of yeah, you have to think, you have to think how to do it to be to be sensitive. So it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing, and it's a great question. We could talk about it for ages, but, um, but it, it's just some some things present you with massive massive dilemmas. And, and as a national poet, you do feel a responsibility that you should respond to things, some things that happen nationally. But it's, but it's also maybe a question of timing and when. Okay, I think I'm going to read two more poems, unless anyone, does someone else have a question there? No? No? That's put you off anyway. If you did have a question, you'd be putting your arm down now. It's interesting, the adults' questions as opposed to children's questions. You know, when you go into school and do children, and the teacher says, We've got a real live poet in our class. You can ask her anything you want. This wee boy put his hand up and went, How much do you weigh? <laughs>
is a this is called Darling. I wrote this for my dear friend Julia Darling, who is a wonderful poet. And I don't know if she came here to Ledbury. I think she did at one point, um, and she died <coughs> a number of years ago. And Darling. You might forget the exact sound of her voice or how her face looked when sleeping. You might forget the sound of her quiet weeping curled into the shape of a half moon when smaller than herself she seemed already to be leaving before she left. When the blossom was in the trees and the sun was out and all seemed good in the world. I held her hand and sang a song from when I was a girl. Heal ya ho boys, let her go boys. And when I stopped singing, she had slipped away, already a slip of a girl again, skipping off. Her heart light, her face almost smiling. And what I didn't know or couldn't say then was that she hadn't really gone. The dead don't go. So you do, loved ones. The dead are still here, holding our hands. Thank you. And we used to go on lots of uh, talking about holidays, lots of holidays, Scottish trade unionist trips to Romania, as you do. Very funny, you know, 80 Scottish trade unionists on the beach all wearing similar trunks. <laughs> Didn't have to turn me into a lesbian. <laughs> so this is, uh, this is this is from that this is Dra Dra Dracula. <laughs> After we climbed the many roads from a quarry north by bus past Bucharest, the capital of Romania, I was dog tired. We went to a mountain room of pine, and I searched the covers before I fell asleep. That night I heard this weird flapping at the window and woke up scared to death. There in the veranda was a figure in black, casting no shadow. My hand instinctively flew to my neck. Count Dracula was born here. The cotton sheets were soaking with my sweat. I could see his eyes flashing as he bent down, imagining two small, sinister holes in my skin. If only we could have stayed in the foreign north, playing ping-pong till kingdom come. If only we hadn't come to the mountains. I crawled along the pine floor to my father's bed. It was empty, just a white pillow and a headrest. My dad gave a loud guffaw from the balcony, took off his black cape, threw back his head, said, Got you going there, didn't I? <laughs> okay, the joke's over. Back to your bed. Can you believe that? All I'm asking is, who needs an imagination, a fear, or a dread when what we've got is parents instead? <laughs>